0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Big Bass Podcast, the fishing show where size matters. My name is Ken Duke.
1: And I'm Terry Battisti. Our producer and engineer is Nathan Benson. Before we kick off this episode of the Big Bass Podcast, we'd like to ask a favor. If you're coming back to the show because you enjoyed previous episodes, or if you're a first-time listener, please click the subscribe button and the notification bell now. By subscribing and hitting the bell, you'll be Notified of each new post and you'll really help us to build this channel into something more special than it already is. We hope you'll also check out the website, the bigbasspodcast.com. There you'll find all our shows, special bonus material, our exclusive Big Bass Podcast Calculator, and lists of all the state and world record bass. So again, let's get started.
0: Terry, this episode of the Big Bass Podcast is all about bass fishing's most storied tournament, the Bassmaster Classic. There's no bigger or brighter stage in the world of competitive fishing than the Classic, and no more sought-after title than Bassmaster Classic Champion. And, you know, although it seems like uh, you could divide serious anglers uh, in the world of bass fishing between those who like to fish competitively and those who target big fish, the Classic, which has a, a daily creel limit of just five fish, is a place where those two can come together, at least to a degree.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, especially if you catch the biggest fish, right? I mean, it, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to boost your weight up in the whole nine yards. But let, let's, you know, look back at the, the classic and how it began real briefly. You know, you have Ray Scott and, and Bob Cobb that by 1970, the end of the season of 1970, they've got this tournament circuit that they've put together and They're feeling that they need to have some sort of a championship to to crown the world champion of bass fishing. And so Ray Scott and Bob Cobb, I guess they're driving, you know, to Atlanta one day, and they cook up this idea of having the Bassmaster Classic. It's going to be at a mystery lake. Uh, No one will know what it is. Their anglers are only going to be restricted to four or five rods and 10 pounds of tackle. Everybody's going to fish out of the same boat the whole nine yards. Uh, It's a full-level playing field at a lake that hopefully none of them have ever fished. And uh, that first Bassmaster Classic was just that. It was at Lake Mead. Everybody got on an airplane uh, in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, I believe.
0: I think they got on a plane in Atlanta. Atlanta.
1: Was it Atlanta? Yeah, it was
0: usually Atlanta or New Orleans they got on the plane. Okay.
1: So yeah, so they, they get on a, a plane, uh, nobody knows where they're going. Uh, they get to ten thousand feet elevation, Ray Scott grabs the microphone from the stewardess, and that's what they were called at the time, and uh, announces this is Ray Scott, and you're all on Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Uh, go I, I, I just wanna I this just wanna make Ray a point. This is Ray Scott and you're all headed to Las Vegas, and we're fishing Lake Mead, Nevada.
0: (laughs) But that's that's absolutely correct. But you know what he did, Terry? He ripped open an envelope like he was at the Oscars, and he pulled it out, and then he said, we're heading to Las Vegas, Nevada, and Lake Mead, as though he didn't already know where they were going.
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) The consummate showman, Ray Scott, the consummate showman. He was one of a handful of people who knew where they were going, and yet he's got to have the big... Envelope moment, and of course yeah. they 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 fished the classic at Mead. It's ultimately won by Bobby Murray, but we're talking about big bass, and and there were yeah. prizes each day at that classic for big bass. Ray mm-hmm. paid the guys in poker chips. Basically, you got a hundred dollars in poker chips for every pound of the fish you caught. And day one's leader in the big bass chase was Bob Ponds. He caught a four fourteen, and uh, if you don't know the name Bob Ponds, you probably know the name Pete Ponds. Uh, yep. Pete is Bob's son, longtime bass pro, former Elite Series guy, terrific uh, terrific mm-hmm. angler, uh, great historian of the sport. Well, Bob caught the day one lunker. Day two, Bob Pond's record gets broken. Bobby Murray, the guy who ultimately wins the tournament, catches a fish that weighs 6 pounds, 5 ounces. And day three, record falls again, Terry. Yep. Again, three Roll days in Martin. a row. This time Roll it's Roland Martin, Martin with a 6-pound, yep. 9-ounce fish. So... Uh, but Roland Roland's record hangs on for a couple of years. Uh, in 1973, they go to Clark's Hill.
1: Yep, yeah. So they go to Clark's Hill. It's the, the the event that uh, Rayo Breckenridge wins. But on day one, Wallace Lee breaks Roland Martin's two-year record with a 615. Unknown lure, you know how he caught it or whatever. And then it the the record stands for three more years until the nineteen seventy-six classic when we're at Lake Gunnersville and guess who breaks that record? It would be Rick Klun.
0: And very interesting, when we say Rick Klun breaks yeah. <laughs> that record, we're we're absolutely being accurate. If anybody wants if anybody ever asks you uh, who broke Wallace Lee's classic big bass record, the correct answer technically uh, is Rick Klun. Rick Klun caught a 713 on day two This is a day he caught uh, the heaviest he had the heaviest bag in the history of the classic, 33 pounds five ounces. It was a 10 fish limit then, uh, but it's still the heaviest overall daily catch in classic history, Mm -hmm. and it was the first of Clun's four Bassmaster Classic wins. So Clun goes up there. He's got this massive bag of fish, including this 713. But but Clun only holds on to the record for about five minutes, Terry.
1: Yeah, Mr. Consistency. Ricky Green then drops an eight nine on the scales and uh, takes takes the wind out of uh, Clun's sails with respect to the to the classic record. Uh, and again, this happened on day two. So from 1976, that record stood for 30 years, uh, and uh, it it would get broken on the Kissimmee Chain. Is that how you pronounce it, Ken? I uh, the Kissimmee I'm from, Chain. The Kissimmee. You're not from chains. America. Sorry about Terry's that. A, Terry's yeah, a foreigner yeah, from California by now Cuba. in Tennessee. <laughs> so the Kissimmee chain uh, of lakes, and that's where stuff is going to, I mean, records are going to fall daily, minute by minute, and all that. But there's another really cool classic record that, that Ken dug up out of the archives that I think. Ken, why don't you talk about Jay Ellis?
0: Yeah, and Jay, in in, Ye- in, in, in two thousand and two, Jay, I'm sorry, two thousand and three, Jay Yellis won the Bassmaster Classic, and uh, he he was a, a fairly dominant performance. But where he really dominated, Terry, was in the daily lunkers. Every yeah. single day of that Bassmaster Classic, all three days of the Classic, Jay Yellis had big fish, and and that's yep. a ca- very occasionally a guy will have big fish on two of the three days. But Yellis mm-hmm. is the only guy ever to do it for all three days. And obviously, that's a record that can't be broken. That can only be tied. Uh, quite impressive, though, in 2002.
1: Exactly. Uh, but
0: going back to 2006, uh, you know, at this point, going into that tournament on the Kissimmee chain, uh, Ricky Green has the record eight pounds, nine ounces from Gunnersville 30 years earlier. Yep. The first guy to eclipse Green's weight was actually a guy named mark tucker one of my favorite people from the trail just a wonderful guy who fished the elites for quite a while
1: yeah. uh, now retired his,
0: from professional fishing
1: his dad was mac tucker who was a stick in the midwest uh in the in the early 70s the early days of the midwest uh, tournament bass fishing so yeah mark came from a, a good line a good lineage
0: and, and you know, everybody expected the records to fall in in Orlando, Terry, on the Kissimmee chain because they were yep. going to Florida. It was going to be pre-spawn or spawn. There were going to be a lot of sight fishing going on, a lot of big fish. Uh, because yep. the reason the record stood for 30 years is because bass rarely took the classic two bodies of water where it was going to be viable to break 8 pounds, 9 ounces. For gosh sake, they went to the Ohio River three times. Uh, Your yep. best 10 fish might not weigh Eight pounds, nine ounces on the Ohio River. So Tucker's well, the first and Plus, guy they to were break also
1: it. fishing the classic in the summer and, and the fall, right? Where so big fish not are harder here. to come by. Exactly, exactly. So they changed the season up uh, and uh, they, go a great they go to Kissimmee. They go to Kissimmee in very first and, uh, year.
0: Yeah, and, and, and a lot of people may not know the reason they went to the Kissimmee chain that year, but Bass had just relocated its offices from Montgomery, Alabama, where they had been since their inception in 1968. Mm-hmm. They had just moved to Celebration, Florida, which is basically a a suburb of Orlando. And it incurred a lot of moving expenses. I was part of their moving expenses. And so they were looking to have a a nice cheap classic at a kind of a a sexy destination with a lot of potential for big fish and so forth. Uh, The the CEO at the time, uh, Don Rux, wanted to start things off with a bang. Uh, It was the first late winter springtime classic and and it it did start with a bang. day one was a bomb of a great day uh-huh. uh, mark tucker's the first guy to cross the scales with a fish to beat ricky greens he's got a 9 12. but there were four other guys who who eclipsed ricky green's fish that day edwin evers had an 8 15. uh yep. preston clark had a nine mm-hmm. uh rick Klun had a 10 10 and preston clark had a fish bigger than a nine believe it or not he had a nine and he had one that weighed 11 pounds Ten ounces.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's it's insane. I mean, you've got what fifty pounds of fish right there with five fish. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's impressive in one tournament
0: on one one day. One day. (laughs) Unfortunately, uh, those of us like Terry and I who were there, we remember that a cold front was coming through that day. One, so a lot of those fish that have been on the bed, that have been up shallow, uh, vulnerable to the sight fishermen, they scattered to the winds and went to the heavy cover uh after that and things were tougher but on day two uh terry scroggins terrific florida pro also eclipsed ricky green's mark with a nine pound five ounce fish uh by the time day three rolls around a fish i think less than six pounds was big big fish for that day but uh that one rewrote the record books uh for bass and big bass and um terry and i uh are gonna have ot defo because we're going to do a countdown to the top five for you folks right now. And we're going to start with number five, Ott Defoe, right about now. Hey, everybody. In a discussion of the biggest bass in Bassmaster Classic history, uh, you got to start with Ott Defo. Ott's got a tremendous record of catching big bass in the Classic. Number five. Number five all time with a nine-pound, nine-ounce fish. Uh, we've got Ott on screen, but before I formally introduce him, I want to tell you this guy is a, a very underrated big fish angler. He has four daily big bass in Elite Series competition, uh, a tremendous record in the Bassmaster Classic. Ott, thanks for joining us in the Big Bass Podcast.
2: Absolutely. Glad to be on here, Kim. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, you and Terry, both for having me on here.
0: Absolutely Anytime. our pleasure. Now, Terry, here's something I bet you don't know, and Ott doesn't think I come up with these stats on my own so he thinks I have to go out and recruit <laughs> school children to do the math for me, but if you take all the guys it. who have class, who if you take all the anglers, more than 700, who have qualified for the Bassmaster Classic through the 50 odd years, and, and you take the guys who have made at least five classics, Ott Defoe has the best average finish in Classic history. Ott's been to eight classics, he finishes on the average in the 84th percentile. In eight classic appearances, he made the cut every time, he's been in the top 11 seven times, five times in the Super Six. This guy has an argument for being one of the all-time great classic performers. So That's I, insane. Yeah.
1: It's,
0: it's ridiculous how strong you've been in the classic on, the, on, the, on one of the sport's biggest stages.
2: Uh, that, that was a, a string I was very proud of, to be quite honest. That and that lone finish outside of eleventh was it was at Grand Lake, and it was just I don't know what happened in that one. Just really didn't get it, kind of, you know, just kind of didn't get it going on. But, um, but yeah, the rest of those had, had I think two elevenths, and then everything was from six north, I believe, um, on the rest <laughs> yeah. of them. So,
0: and, <laughs> and of course, and it's a win yeah, I, in two thousand nineteen on your home lake. So that was uh, the, the crown jewel of it all there for you in the classic
2: yeah no doubt yeah that that win at home you know on, on home water sleeping in your own bed for the bassmaster classic is something that a very rare you know few people have, have ever done I, I truly don't know anybody else that, that has even you know randy howe live, um you know winning on gunnerville he wasn't living there yet and, right um, casey ashley yeah.
0: casey mm-hmm. ashley in south carolina yeah. edwin evers yeah. in uh, oklahoma but not Mm-hmm. Not sleeping in his own bed. Those guys were a, were a drive away. But uh you're yeah. you're in Blaine, which as I understand is just basically a suburb of Knoxville, where you've lived your whole life basically in the Knoxville area.
2: Yeah, yeah, I have. Um the furthest I ever lived away from Knoxville was about the first eighteen months that Jenny and I were married and lived in Dandridge. So <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> you know, twenty miles or twenty five miles away from Knoxville. But yeah, it's all been within You guys within the the in here, Douglas Knoxville. We were, we were not living on Douglas. We were newly married, so we were not living on the
1: lake. Uh, yeah, we, we were. <laughs> well, you could have been. You could have been camping. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess
2: you I guess could have, yeah. But we, we were very close to the lake, but we were not on the lake. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Ott's big fish uh, abilities have really shined in the Classic as well. He's got mm-hmm. three daily big bass in Classic history, despite the fact that he's only been to eight Classics. The record, by the way, Ott, is to have four. Daily Big Bass in the classic so well, yeah. uh, the guys who have the guys who have four have names like Clun, Van Dam, Evers, yeah. Yellis, Davy Height and all those guys have basically twice as many or three or even four times as many appearances yeah. as yeah. you so right. that's something you, you could have accomplished. The one yeah. we want to focus in on though uh, is the fifth biggest all time yeah. and uh, that came on day three of the 2017 classic on Lake yeah. Conroe in Texas. and uh you know not to rehash a a tough couple of days but you struggled on day one found yourself in 25th place um day two you actually had a better day but you lost more ground to first place yeah you probably didn't have a lot to fish for on day three what were your what were your goals on day three of that classic you were trailing by over 13 pounds
2: okay yeah i truly didn't remember just how um you know, just what the weights were, I, I do remember um the first day having a limit and, and Ken the, as much as you like like numbers and stuff, um that was one of the that was one of the toughest events we ever fished. that I, I ever fished a class again for catching a limit. For one the size limit was sixteen inches um there on Conroe. And I had remember I had a limit, I think I actually called once or twice, but I never caught a three pounder. I had eleven or twelve pounds or something in my limit. Um uh, and then the second day I I didn't realize that I knew I'd caught a much better bag, but I didn't realize that I had, that I had fell back, you know, in the, in the total weight that bad. Um, but the thing with Conroe was that it was a very volatile fishery. A guy would go out and catch 18, 19, 22 pounds, whatever. And then the next day come in with three fish or four fish or something. So, um, even though I knew I was behind some, it, it was a very volatile place. Um, and so, you know, going out that that final day, you, Conroe's a place you can catch 30 pounds, um, you know? So I, I truly didn't change much about the way I was fishing. I didn't change the areas I was fishing, um, but I did, uh, you know, I, I did, what I do remember about that final day, the first bite I had gotten was a four or five pounder, and I lost it. And then mm. the next bite I got was that nine pounder. And it was like, mm. 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, if I remember right, when I caught that fish, it was well up into the day. Uh Um, I did go on after that to end up finishing my limit, and not to toot my own horn, but just a stat. I was the only guy who caught a limit every day in that Classic. If I remember right, you you correct me if I'm wrong, you would know that. But I'm 99% sure I was the only guy that caught a limit every day.
0: Wildly impressive. It was extremely high water, as I recall. The conditions were super duper tough. Uh, you always catch a limit. You're one of those guys who who always seems to catch a limit. And that's uh, been such a a strong point in your career, I think. Now, uh, what people don't realize is not only was that the the fifth largest bass ever caught in classic history, but it's the biggest bass ever caught on the final day. And to show you just how money Ot Defoe is on the final day of the classic, he has two of the three biggest bass ever caught. On the final day of the Bassmaster Classic, because um, he did it also in 2014 oh. on Gunnersville. He's not good at catching his computer as it falls, <laughs> but he's pretty good at catching big fish.
2: Yeah. Well, well the the inter- I, what I was trying to do, um, I've got hanging on a net right here behind me, and just so it happened. Well, sorry for all that, everybody. If you're <laughs> if you're now sick or anything watching this. I, but th- this is going to really add to the story of this really well. If I can, I'm just going to have to change my angle a little bit. Here we go. Okay, um, that that Conroe fish I caught on not this exact bait, yep. but it, it was this bait, um, but it was popper. a different color. Uh, it mm-hmm. was that's a storm, a um popper. Yeah, that's it's cover poppers. What they what they call this one from storm, but um, that's. That's the bait it was on. It was on a ghost pearl color, so basically just a, a pearl white version of that. And I believe still today that is my largest topwater fish I've ever caught. Um, but yeah, I just I happen to have that hanging right here on the net behind me. Um, so,
0: so that's the actual bait right there that you caught the fish on.
2: This is not the actual bait. It, it, it's this this bait, different color. Yeah, this okay. is not the actual bait. No.
0: Where is the actual bait? I hope well, you're saving it somewhere. It,
1: it's in it's my a, box to get used. If, if you have <laughs> the, the May, if you have the May 2017 issue of Bassmaster, it's actually right there. Okay.
0: Well, um, you don't know that. You yeah. have to ask the man if that was the actual bait in the. It in was, that well, menu. it says
1: it says the uh, the the new cover pop from Rapala or Storm orashi, or right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, ghost pearl is what it says. Ghost pearl shad is what it says in the magazine too. So, that is correct.
0: Yeah, well, well, having worked at that company for quite a while, I can tell you <laughs> <laughs> that sometimes the stuff. Well, we'll talk about that another time. But, uh, but your best, best fish ever on top water. Now, had you had you encountered some good fish on that top water bait in practice or?
2: nothing like that. No, I I had, I had caught some fish on it and, and I'm trying to remember, I think the first day I caught a fish or two on it maybe. Um, but I, I, I know I caught a fish or two on it. I know I had some bite it that I missed and ended up going back and catching on a wacky worm because a lot of those fish were, were fish that were spawning fish. I was targeting with that, with that popper were spawning fish. Um, and, uh, and that was, that was kind of what I was, was doing with that. Um, but on that final day, that was what I had, I had hung a four or five pounder on that had came off and then ended up, um, up in the morning catching that, catching that giant one on. Yeah.
0: So tell us a little bit about the, the structure and the, the cover you were working, yeah, the depth, so, stuff like that.
2: Yeah, it, it was, it was very shallow. Um, the, a big thing with Conroe at that point in time, um, the lake had been down for I'm gonna say an extended period of time, I don't know if it was two years or four years, whatever it was, but the lake had been had been lower for a, a number of years and it had allowed a lot of undergrowth to grow up and there was a lot of small sticks, you know kind of stuff like that um that had grown up in that and it was in that foot to two and a half foot range and I mean it was literally just you'd go in a cove and it kind of lined that depth range around the around the banks and stuff and there were fish spawning in that. And they and some of them were spawning around stumps, but it was just you know covered with this other stuff as well. So it give them it give them some extra cover, and that was a lot of what I was what I was targeting was any additional pieces of wood that kind of had this other undergrowth. I'm going to call it that had you know that was kind of in that same area, but very very shallow. I mean that that fish it came out of eighteen inches. Of water or so. Um it, it was it was very, very shallow. Um and and I I, I actually have that fish catch on my YouTube channel. Um uh, it's of course way back in the archives at this point, but it's had over a hundred thousand views maybe maybe a couple hundred thousand at this point. But it was a I, I had I had made the cast. I remember a lot of this because I've watched it. Again, a top or two cents, because it was just a really cool, really cool fish catch. But you know, I, I'd made the cast oh, up there and funny. I had I had worked the bait. And of course, the momentum of the boat. I mean, I'm you know I'm just covering water fishing as I'm going, and and I'm working working the bait. You know, so the rods in my left hand, I'm wor- working working, and then I, I have to go back and look for sure. But I feel like the rod is in my off hand because the boat was working away from it, and as I'm working the bait, I actually saw the fish come up and kind of move under the bait you know it's kind of mm-hmm. kind of tracking it like that and so i'm just i i know i've got the rod in one hand i don't remember for sure if it's my correct hand but it would be my left for the way i'm fishing or if like i had switched hands to kind of give more line because it's on the right hand side of the boat and the boat's drifting away from it and i'm just twitch 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 and the fish comes up it's out of frame on the video but it comes up and eats the bait and i one-handed uh, i set the hook into the fish because I've got the momentum of the boat working with me. a one hand, it set the hook into the fish and, you know, and then begin, begin fighting. and it comes up and jumps like crazy beside the boat. Uh, yeah, it was a that, that was a pretty fun one. Re-
0: so, retire that bait. uh Difu. retire it, take it out of your boat, put it on a wall, put it in a shadow frame with a picture. Come on, man, that yeah. that, that bait caught the biggest bass in the history of the day, day three at the classic
2: i probably will at this point yeah i didn't didn't (laughs) realize that it was the biggest day three bass the fifth ranking number five man okay that's pretty cool but knowing that it's the biggest day three i'll retire for that i'll I'll do that for you kid
0: thank you i'm sorry terry i interrupted (laughs) i interrupted your important question what what rod reel and and most importantly
1: what line were you throwing
2: yeah that would have been on a bass pro uh 6.6 um carbon light medium action rod I'm trying to think that probably would have been a probably would have been a carbon light reel as well, uh, uh, either a six eight or seven five to one gear ratio. And then at that point in time I always used monofilament on that. I kinda went back and forth with braid now at this point. Um but it would have been seventeen pound Bass Pro uh monofilament line would have been been what I was using on that. Um with that it's it's always a short cast i'm never making longer than a 30 foot cast or something with that that's why i always went with monofilament because it is such tight quarters I, i'd go with braid more now um and just you know just kind of gear myself to not jerk as hard or anything but um yeah back then it, it was always monofilament for that particular technique
0: I uh, you've been so successful at at catching big fish in competition uh, do you deliberately target big fish when you're out there in competition, or do you just hope to find them by going through numbers of fish?
2: For me, it truly, has always been more about going through numbers of fish. You know, if if I'm in a situation where I, I have a deal that I know I can target, um, you know, can target bigger ones for, um, then I, I'll certainly try to mix that in at some point in time. But that that stat on the limit side of my fishing that is one that i i just man i i could never turn off and so it was always really important for me to catch a limit first if it meant i was fishing a way to catch big ones then that was all the better but um it was always always so important for me to try to fill my limit first um and get that out of the way and then i could figure out what i need to do to try to try to target bigger fish from there
0: now um a handful of guys uh, yourself uh edwin evers jacob wheeler jordan lee others of course too but have been successful in in both the the five fish limit format and the every fish counts format you guys are, are basically going back to to five fish now with mlf is that a change you like because you're so good at, at catching big fish or were you just as happy with every fish counts
2: I I loved every fish counts. Um, I, I truly did. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that, and I will always feel like it made me a better fisherman. I I absolutely believe that the the frantic pace <clears throat> the frantic pace of it, and um, you know, knowing that any fish you catch is gonna, you know, over a scoreable size, every one of those fish is gonna help you. Um, I I thoroughly enjoyed it, and 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 again, and I think part of the reason that I did enjoy it so much is that it. I I feel like it, it pushed it it pushed me to to make adjustments quicker. If I'm not getting bit by whatever size fish, I need to make adjustments quicker because you're gonna be falling behind. And once we went to the two pound minimum part of it, we weren't fishing for little fish anymore. Every place we went essentially had a sixteen or seventeen inch size limit at that point. I mean that's what a s that's what a two pound fish is other than a pre spawn fish that's extremely healthy that's 15 and a half inches um, you know you're just you're, you're not fishing for sub keepers anymore at that point um, so I uh, yeah I, I enjoyed it and now we have fished one event under a five fish format to date um, give God all the glory for having a good event there Finished third place in it um, having five fish and score tracker knowing exactly where you are was really cool it, it was because you know you know what a three pounder is going to do for you not that you didn't before but you would get you would get greater separation where you know man i just need a six ounce coal and it's going to do this for me you know so it, it makes those it makes those so much tighter and being in a place like florida where any swing of the back could be a six seven eight pounder and be a three four five six whatever pound coal your potential is just it's so much greater versus being 10 or 12 pounds behind and being like, man, I need to catch two or three good ones, or I need to catch, I need to go find a place to catch six or eight fish real fast, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So,
1: But, it, but it, wouldn't it also uh, enable you to, once you know that you're, you know, you're ahead by 18 ounces or you're behind by eight ounces, it'll give you an opportunity to either go practice for tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, or stop burning your fish, right? Yeah,
2: it, it did, and, and, but we also had that with, with every fish as well. You know, we truly did because I had I had a bunch of events um, to where I had, now this is every fish counts, and this was in the first year or two with Major League Fishing where we'd be on those events where it's not a St. Lawrence River or a place like that where, you know, it was taking astronomical weights where the fishing was mediocre but maybe not great. I had a bunch of those where I I made the two day cut in the first two periods of the of the of my first round of competition. You know, so you get to that point, and I'd always I was yeah. always a, keeping up with it. You know, okay, at the end of period one, the cut weight's eight pounds. In the period two, cut weight's fifteen pounds. So it went up eight the first period, didn't quite go up eight the next. Let's just go ahead and add nine to it. And, you know, so you could kind of triple that while well, I'm already at forty. 32, 42 pounds, whatever it was, and I'm safe in two periods. You know, I I had those kind of events too. So, um, with,
1: with,
2: with five, with five fish versus every fish, it's restrictor plate racing is exactly what it is. You can only get so far ahead. You can only get so far behind the problem with it is if you get too far behind, you now cannot make it up with St. Lawrence river, every fish counts you could still make it up. You go to the St. Lawrence river with a five fish limit and you catch 12 pounds. There's, yeah. you're done. Just go mm-hmm. ahead and load it up and go on to the house because you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna recover from that. You could blank one day with every fish counts and come back and still make the cut.
0: That kind of stuff is true at a lot of small mouth venues though. Don't you think? Uh, that, oh yeah. Yeah. Where, where the guy who wins is averaging. Three and three quarter pounds, and the guy who finishes fiftieth is averaging three and a quarter pounds. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not really a lot of difference, but except in the standings, right. uh, you, right. if you really want, if you really want a lot of movement in the standings, what you need is a place like Conroe, where limits are hard to come by and there are some really big fish. Florida right. is is like that pretty much from from uh, the Keys to the Panhandle. It's just yeah. like that. But yeah. but wherever you've gone, man, you've you've always been man been able to catch limits. You always manage to find big fish. Uh Folks, Ot Defoe, one of the, still a young guy, but already one of the all timers and uh, a master at catching big fish in competition. And, and one of the best people in the sport too. Ot, thanks so much for spending some time with us on the Big Bass Podcast.
2: Thanks, Absolutely, Art. Ken. Yeah, Terry, thank you. And um, I, I really appreciate appreciate those kind of words, especially with the tag on your head. I know that that's uh you know, uh, I don't know if everybody knows exactly where that came from, but I take gonna a lot explain. Pride in it. Okay.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, I blame Ott for that. Ott, Ott gives me a hard time. No. Ott's, Ott's not the nice guy, he appears. Actually, I, Ott's a really super nice guy, but he's also very mischievous. Um, I've watched many times out in boatyards where guys are, are getting their gear put just away, just this special way, and then they'll walk away for a few minutes, and Ott will rearrange Everything in their boat. So,
2: yeah, <laughs> I, 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 any, any leg you can get that's within the rules. So
0: <laughs> so Ot's uh, uh, a fabulous guy. Honest as the day is long, but you do have to watch him. I'm just saying that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right, Ot, uh, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for the cool story about a, a giant in the Bassmaster Classic.
2: And I will retire that bait.
0: Thank you. Do Thank that. You. Well deserved. Yeah. All
2: right.
0: See Take care, will right, See you good good soon. Way.
2: Thank you very much.
1: All right. So we have Ott now uh, at number five. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to go to actually number three, which is a tie between Brent Ayler and Mark Tucker. And Ayler's fish came in 2017 at Lake Conroe. Uh, If you guys remember that tournament, that was another tough Bassmaster Classic. Uh, And, uh, of course, you know, Ott, we just got done talking to Ott. Uh, He caught his his big fish at that classic and uh, Ayler catches his nine twelve. 12 led day one by one pound two ounces and anchored by that that nine pound 12 ounce fish uh, that is now tied for third biggest bass in Bassmaster Classic history. Uh, The bait that he caught it on was a Yamamoto uh, custom baits D shad in watermelon and he was using a three-aught Gamakatsu EWG hook. Yeah, that
0: bait uh, is basically just a soft plastic jerk bait, kind of like a fluke.
1: Yeah, and it, and it was uh, designed by Derek Yamamoto, uh, and I believe it was the Konami line of, of baits that, that Derek was, you know, trying to offshoot from Yamamoto at the time. Uh, and Ayler uh, held the lead, uh, you know, day one, and then it continued on in, in day two. But on day three, he stumbled and ended up finishing third in that tournament. But he's got... Big fish, number three, for the Bassmaster Classic all time, top five biggest.
0: And of course, Terry, he's tied with Mark Tucker, a fish we've talked about a little bit uh, that Mark Tucker caught on day one of the 2006 Classic on the Kissimmee Chain of Lakes here in Florida. Mm -hmm. And as we mentioned, Tucker was the first guy to weigh in a Bassmaster Classic bass bigger than Ricky Green's eight pound, nine ounce fish from 1976. Tucker didn't have a great tournament. he ranked 17th after day one uh and and what's what's really terrible i think is that mark's fish got lost in the shuffle there were so many giant fish coming <laughs> across the stage that day that a lot of people forgot that mark was actually the first guy to break ricky green's mark and uh i i in in reviewing the coverage from Bassmaster that year on that year's classic mark tucker didn't get a mention in there uh the only no. place that he was reported was in the Bass Times coverage, and uh, but hey, can't take it away from Mark. Mark's got the th- tied for the third biggest bass in Classic history with Brent Ayler at nine pounds twelve ounces.
1: Yep, and number two, again, you know, uh, it, it's it's Rick Klun, and Rick Klun's ten ten at the two thousand six Classic. Again, you know, we we mentioned it earlier. Uh, but, yeah, no, Rick's got, Rick's got number two uh, in, in in the biggest bass that have ever been weighed at a Bassmaster Classic. Now, a little bit about Klon. Uh, 32 classic experiences or uh, appearances. Or, or experiences. Wins. I like experiences. Yeah. I think that's yeah, a, yeah, good, yeah. a good one. He, he had probably more than 32 experiences. Probably, probably a classic. few more, yeah. <laughs> uh, he had four wins. He had back-to-back wins in 76 and 77. Then 84 and then 1990, uh, he won four daily Big Bass awards. Uh, 1976 on day one, 1977 on day one, uh, ended up being the big fish for that Bass uh, Master Classic. Um, 1981 day two, 1987 day three, again big bass for that Bass Master Classic. He twice held the record for the biggest Bassmaster Classic lunker, uh, only to be surpassed moments later, you know, by Ricky Green. And again, and that was the 1976. So what are the Klund, odds? Yeah,
0: Clun becomes the first guy to crack 10 pounds in a Bassmaster Classic. Suddenly he's got all the <laughs> records, Terry. He's got them yeah. all. Yeah, he he's he's got four classic championships at that point. Uh, you know, Van Damme who ultimately tied him with four classic wins but at that point van damme only had two so clun mm-hmm. has got the most classic wins he's now he's got big fish in the classic it's all his the classic is is his oyster and i still believe that rick Clun is the greatest bassmaster classic competitor in history but oh, yeah. for a few moments in 19 and i'm sorry in 2006 he had it all only to be surpassed by preston clark just moments later yeah, what are the odds? What are the odds? The same guy 30 years later. <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah, 30 years later. In
1: 1976, it's taken from him. In 2006, it's taken from him. Like you see, five minutes after, after he, he gets the, uh, the, the record. Um, I guess it's just the luck of the draw, you know. But I don't think Rick will ever complain about his career. I mean, he's, he's done everything in bass fishing. Uh, you know, I, everybody knows that he's never satisfied. That's why he's still competing at, you know, post seven Still believe
0: in his best days are ahead of him, and, and you got to admire that. Now, Clun yep. did not have a great classic. Uh, as we said, he won four, so he knew what a great classic was like. But to yeah. he ranked fifth after day one. Uh, he mm-hmm. weighed in 20 pounds, 12 ounces. Uh, so that one fish was more than half his weight on yeah. day one, Terry. And yep. uh, he caught that fish on a, a Lucky Strike Trickster spinnerbait that had those oblong kind of teardrop uh, blades Blades. on it. And, uh, he wound up finishing the tournament in 21st place. And that, uh, that 10 pound, 10 ounce fish was more than one third of his total (laughs) weight for the Derby.
1: Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, if you're Rick, you're never satisfied, but I mean, when he looks back on his career, I guarantee you that, uh, he, he's not going to be disappointed.
0: No, you know and and for anybody who can find it, and I, I assume it's somewhere on the Bassmaster.com website, but don't dare leave the Big Bass Podcast to go there. Um, check it out because the video of Rick catching that fish is is really quite moving. Uh, it, it just goes to show you that a guy who at that point in his career was 60 years old, yeah. um, he, uh, he collapses on his boat deck, just breathing heavy, so excited, Thrilled with a catch, just shows you the kind of passion that he has for the game. Um, well worth revisiting if, and well worth checking out if you haven't seen it before.
1: Yep. And I, I'd have to say the, the, the coverage of him fishing the St. John's a couple of years ago when he won with those two big fish that he weighed, it's the same thing. I mean, here you got a, now you've got a 70-year-old who's uh, just excited and thrilled. I mean, he's like a kid you know, in, with excitement. Uh, it's it's crazy the amount of big fish or fish that have come across his deck and he still gets excited, you know, when he catches a good one. So do you want to talk about number one?
0: Well, we're just going to tease number one, Terry, because we're cruel <laughs> and that's the way we operate here at the Big Bass Podcast. But number one, I, I hope everybody knows by now, we mentioned it earlier in the program, the yeah. biggest bass in the history of the bass Master Classic is a massive 11-pound 10-ounce largemouth bass caught by Preston Clark and uh, of Palatka, Florida. And and Preston is a wonderful guy. He fished a few years in the Elite Series, set some impressive marks there. Uh, we're going to have Preston on in our next episode, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we're dedicating the entire episode of that one to Preston and his giant fish from the 2006 classic uh, on the Kissimmee Chain Lakes. So uh, come on back for that one. Uh, yep. We know you're going to enjoy it. Preston's got some great stories about it and uh, also we're going to dig we're going to dig deep, uh, probably even a little deeper than we did with Ot Defoe about his theories and attitudes and approaches to targeting big fish in competition. Uh, we're going to go into all that with Preston. Uh, I think it's going to be enlightening. I know I will be taking notes because like Preston I'm a Floridian and I know he's got a lot to teach me <laughs> about targeting big fish here in Florida.
1: Without a doubt and the cool thing is, is that this tournament was a year or two prior to power poles and blades, so we're going to get an old school education on how to use a push pole to to, to bed fish. It's going to gonna sneak be, up on these fish. It's going to be really really cool. So uh, come on back uh, next week and and uh, we'll be talking to to Preston Clark about his classic record.
0: You know. Tell you, one, of my, one of my takeaways here on, on our researching and digging into the big bass from the Bassmaster Classic is that while, while catching a, a big fish in the Bassmaster Classic, you know, the sport's biggest, brightest stage, is I think everybody's goal. I think, I think anybody who loves competition in big fish dreams of that. Uh, but you know what? It, it very, very rarely pays off in a win. Of the anglers who caught the 15 biggest bass in Bassmaster Classic history, absolutely none of them won the tournament. None no. of them. Mm-mm. And in fact, the best finish in that group was third by Ricky Green in 1976 and, and by Brent Ayler in 2017. Uh, only seven times in classic history, and we're talking, we're talking, this will, in 19, I'm sorry, oh. 2023, it'll be the 53rd Bassmaster Classic. And so yep. far, only seven times in classic history did the angler who caught the biggest bass of the tournament win the championship. And it hasn't been done since two thousand seven, when Boyd Duckett did it.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know, I don't know how you can explain it. You know, you would think that the, a guy that you know caught a big fish, if he limited the the other days, he might have a chance. But it's just the way uh, just the way stuff goes, you know. So and let's discuss the hat
0: <laughs> okay we got to discuss the hat I, I if if y'all watched the uh entire episode you saw our interview with Ott defoe wonderful guy one of my favorite people in the sport uh i wore this hat for that because Ott was the inspiration the cause of this hat that i bought maybe 10 almost 10 years ago not not quite uh but in 2013 uh i was working for bass and um I was at the uh, Media Day for the Classic, which is the Thursday before the Classic begins. And uh, I had one question I wanted to ask every pro who qualified at that event. My question was, if you can't win this derby, who would you like to see win? I just wanted to see who kind of the the angler's favorite was in that group. And I believe that that Todd Faircloth actually wound up getting the most picks. Uh, He's such a nice guy, it's not surprising. Well, anyway, uh, Ott is also a wonderful guy, except Ott has a vicious sense of humor sometimes. And uh, um, so I see he's talking to Louis Stout, longtime Bassmaster senior writer, absolutely one of the best journalists in the business, and I don't use the word journalist lightly. There, there are a handful of them in the sport, uh, and Louis is one of them. So uh, anyway, I see Louis talking to him, but I only need one question. Louis is a good friend of mine, oh, it's a friend of mine, so I figure I'm gonna maybe make a joke of it and kind of barge in, ask my one question, and go. So I say, excuse me, excuse me, real media coming through. And uh, Louie turns to see what's, what's going on, and, and Ott looks at me and says, all right, Ken, where are they? Where's the real media? <laughs> Implying it wasn't me. And uh, so the next year I come to the Classic wearing my my fedora with my real media badge. and uh, But from that point forward, as long as Ott was in the Classic, he would always come up to me on media day make a big point of checking my badge to see that Your i was friends. properly credentialed <laughs> so that's that's a little uh, taste of who Ott defoe is and his sense of humor he's a, a wonderful guy we really appreciate ott taking the time out of his evening to yep. join us for this episode yep which i think means it's time
1: i think it's time to slam the door on this episode of the big bass podcast ken uh, let's do it man before, yeah so uh, before we go, please remember to subscribe, like, share, give us a comment or a review. We love talking to you guys, you know, in the comment sections. Uh, it's a small ask, but it's a, it's a big help for us to, to, to make sure that, that you know, this podcast gets off the ground. Uh, and don't forget to check out the website, uh, thebigbasspodcast.com. Uh, you'll find our Big Bass Podcast Calculator. Uh, our listings for Record Bass plus supplementary material on the episodes. It's a work in progress, uh, but you—if you like the show—you're going to love the website. Uh, if you want to contact us, our email addresses are Ken at thebigbasspodcast.com, Terry at thebigbasspodcast.com, Nathan at thebigbasspodcast.com. I'm Terry Battisti, and on behalf of my partners Ken Duke and Nathan Benson. Thanks to our special guest, Ott the Foe, of course, and to you for joining us. Uh, Next week, we'll have a new show about a different big bass with a story that you will not and cannot find anywhere else. And remember, size matters.